0: Hello! Welcome to A Soundtrack Odyssey, the podcast where I ask the question, in the film of your life, what would the soundtrack be? I'm Stephanie Joy Hubbard, a sometimes DJ and an always lover of playlists and music in film. And today I have the honour of inviting one of my all-time favourite drag acts onto A Soundtrack Odyssey, the international cabaret sensation, Mr. Joe Black. Joe brings much-needed gothic noir drama to modern drag. He's all 1920s cabaret glamour, Disney cartoon villain, and dark musical theatre. He's like a cross between Tom Waits and Marlene Dietrich. If they had a baby, you'd have Mr Joe Black. Joe appeared on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 2, the season that, as well as Joe, gave us such gifts as bimini-bombu-lash the infectious-as-fuck single UK hun, and the beautiful and terribly missed Cherry Valentine. I knew Joe before that because we, we both live in the town of Brighton on the south coast of England, which is equal parts beauty, uh, faded seaside glamour, and totally hideous. What I love about Joe is his passion for bringing vintage cabaret to the drag scene and also his truly kind heart. He didn't have the easiest of rides on Drag Race, but his attitude never wavered from being completely gracious and classy. He's also just hugely, massively talented. You'll equally find him playing piano, accordion, theremin or organ during his shows and seeing anything from the rhythmics, to George Formby. I sent Joe an email to ask him if he'd be a guest and I sent him some scenes uh, from the film of his life that I'd love him to think of songs for. Things like his coming of age and first love down to his closing credits. He replied with lightning speed. Um, Literally minutes later, the whole soundtrack was in my inbox. So I'm ecstatically excited to welcome Joe to a soundtrack odyssey. Joe Black. Hello. Welcome to a soundtrack odyssey.
1: (laughs) A pleasure to be here.
0: Delighted to have you. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh well, I'm very very excited. I listened to you know when you asked me episode one was out, I listened to it and immediately I made my playlist uh, within 20 minutes. Yes. Of 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 you asking me and listening to it, I like paused the episode to go make my own and then finish the episode.
0: I was going to say, you, when I sent you the email with, with the idea and the brief, you, you, sent me, you sent me your tracks back in about 10 minutes or something. <laughs> and I loved that. I absolutely loved that. It, it seemed like you were desperate for someone to ask you this.
1: Yeah, th- there's some of these songs that I, I will... Any, every, any given opportunity to talk about these songs. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very enth- uh, enthusiastic about what I enjoy.
0: Mm. Um, yeah.
1: And I a passion, passion.
0: For those listening who might not be familiar with you, how would you describe yourself and your art?
1: Uh, I am a cabaret performer. um, Very sort of Weimar classic cabaret, but not cabaret, jazz hands cabaret. We're talking cigarettes and a martini cabaret. That's uh, that's what I do. And I, you know, musician, uh, and those two collide, and that's where I live.
0: Excellent. (laughs) So, I've got three icebreaker questions right quick fire no preparation there's three of them I'm going to ask them very quickly and you just say whatever comes to your to your immediate thoughts it's a lot of pressure it is I'm sorry go for it (laughs) what's your all time favourite movie soundtrack
1: Batman Returns
0: what would the film of your life be called and Regret (laughs) If you were the villain in a film, I
2: am the villain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right then, what what would you make your evil entrance to?
1: God's away on business by Tom Waits.
0: Love it, perfect.
1: I just, it, I that, that's very much a villain song. I think because it's got it's got that kind of campy, almost Disney villain esque vibe to it. Mm. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the song, um, uh, but it, for those listeners who may not be familiar, please go listen to it. God's away on business by Tom Waits. It um, it just talks about how the devil's now in control because God's away. God's gone away on holiday, uh, basically. And the lyrics are—it's just this sound. It's. Uh, uh, I sold your heart to the junk man baby for a buck, for a buck. If you're looking for someone to build you out of that ditch, you're out of luck, you're out of luck. The ship is sinking, the ship is sinking. There's a leak, there's a leak in the boiler room. The poor, the lame, the blind. And who are the ones that we've kept in charge? Killers, thieves and liars. They go, God's away, God's away, God's away on business, business. You know.
0: Thank you so great. much. <laughs> I said, said to my husband before I came to meet you, if if Joe Black sings within the first five minutes, I will I will be really pleased.
1: <laughs> so my Tom Waits song, I could just do the whole interview with Tom White. You know,
0: we just talk
1: like this. You know, we're here for a soundtrack odyssey. <laughs>
0: One comment that I saw on one of your YouTube videos from a fan was like starting a petition for Joe Black to voice a future Disney villain. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. <laughs> the why? Dream. Why has this not happened yet?
1: Um, I don't know if I'm too adult for Disney, maybe, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I I, I, I I'm, I'm gunning for it. I'm gunning for it.
0: Have you got an idea in your head of like your 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 villain persona?
1: I don't know. It's, it's someone oh, wearing a long 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 coat and can do magic i think is my only sort of real what i'm really focused on there there needs to be some sort of magical element <laughs>
2: mm, can't just coat. be
1: machiavellian um mm. uh, long coat or cape i will settle for a cape uh and uh, some sort of magical element 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 um i can't can't just be dastardly got to be dastardly mm. and magic
0: and have like a level of depth to you as well like um there's there's a there's no, we're going to go with, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about stuff that we can talk about during when we talk about The Nightmare all Before right. Christmas. I'm going to cut that.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't cut it. Let people let people know that, you know, we're all just, we're, we're all rambling our way passengers. through life.
0: Exactly. We are just rambling our In way through
1: passengers. life.
0: Imperfect mm. passengers. I've never heard
1: that phrase. I think that's brilliant.
0: Imperfect passengers. I will let you have that.
1: Have, this week, I've heard that's the second phrase I've heard this week that's really stuck with me. Someone else I was talking to said monoculture
2: mm. when
1: they were talking about how, but uh, they were talking about drag actually, and and saying that everything's being forced into one uh, thing because of drag race. So, mm. and they referred to it as monoculture, and I thought that was so brilliant. Mm. I like oh, that's yeah, imperfect passengers, monoculture. Mm. I think the monoculture thing can be applied to many things when people are all shoved into one box, so, yeah.
0: So, I have sent you a list of briefs to uncover what songs would, be, would soundtrack the, the, the film to your life. And the first one is the opening credits. Uh-huh. So I asked you what would be setting the tone for your film this could be your favourite song, or it could be just something that you think personally would be an excellent opener. So, what is your what is your opening credits song, Joe Black?
1: My opening credits song is "Hoist That Rag" by Tom Waits. Um, it's you know I love it. It's not my favourite song of all time. Um, I, I don't. That sounds sort of disrespectful, saying actually no. Um, I love it dearly. Mm. It's not even my, my favourite Tom Waits song, but I just feel like it's it's a, a, a banger, mm. as they say. Uh, and it's just it's it's really punchy and it just i don't know the song for me i could i can imagine opening credits i mm. mean not that people do opening credits anymore which i think is a shame because that was always such a good opportunity for artistic flair
0: absolutely
1: um and i just it's so guttural and punchy and it's the it's the beat on it i can't you know i'm not a drummer um but there's like a beat on it which i find so satisfying it's like Mm. it's got an almost gospel thing. Sorry, that sounds bad on the microphone there, just stamping and clapping. But um, it's got an almost... A lot of his stuff has that, actually. A lot real gospel vibe.
2: Mm. Rallying. Um,
1: it's just that... It's, I don't know. It just it feels like... Mm. There was a lovely... And I always mistake it for... Um, Make It Rain uh, by him. It's got a... Which is similar, kind of like... I don't know, almost calling to the heavens vibe to it. And there was a, not the song we're talking about, but I'm going to go off on one anyway. There's like an Australian choir did a cover of Make It Rain by Tom Waits. And I always in my head mistake it as them doing Hoist That Rag. But I know the songs, probably listening to them, I go, these aren't similar at all. But for some reason, they've got that same energy to them uh, and Hoist That Rag just back to the actual matter at hand um, uh, yeah it's just kind of gospel and it feels like a call to arms and it feels angry and passionate hmm.
2: uh,
1: and it's yeah I, and that whole album actually It's I, I, if I'm I mean whether I've lost my mind or not because I'm on the spot I think it's on the Real Garn album yeah it is which uh, has some real it's not one that I would go back to all the time but it has the odd song. That that whole album is is quite sort of macabre, and they've got Dead and Lovely is on there as well. Um, mm. And I just—it's not my go-to Tom Waits album, but it's just there's a couple of songs in there that always really, really punch for me. Yeah, love it, love
0: yeah. it. Yeah, it's amazing. It kind of sounds Cuban or like kind of Spanish well, yeah, vibes. He's got a start. lot of
1: world music. um yeah. stuff. I mean, a lot of. A lot of his stuff is kind of rumba. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of calypsoy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. It's it's, and it's also so he, he does it in a way that you don't immediately go, oh, this sounds very rumbery. This uh, you, you hear it and you just go, well, that's what Tom Waits. Mm. There was I was in a uh, music shop yesterday and there was like three people playing entirely different things. Uh, there was someone just randomly hitting stuff. They weren't you know all together they weren't making a band it was just random customers trying stuff and there was someone playing a xylophone just randomly and someone was trying to play seven nation army but entirely wrong (laughs) um and someone else was playing something else and the girl at the counter i was like this sounds like a tom waits track I um, just I don't know he's, I, I love that band I could have actually just made the whole thing Tom Waits songs but I tried to be very good and not um, uh, but they were doing that and then I said "I said, oh it sounds like a Tom Waits song released a spoken word track and she laughed and she said oh it's my life and it carried on playing <laughs> and I leant over the counter and I was like <laughs> Because <laughs> it's, I think it's, the track's called Circus. And the camera was like, you know, when there was a monkey called Tripod. How he got his name is not appropriate for children. As this, this, this. Is in the background. Anyway, it's the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Lucky her. That sounds like an awesome <laughs> moment at work. <laughs> she was just at work.
1: I go in there. I, I mean, I don't know what happened. I just got to my 30s and I was like, I don't go, oh, fuck anymore. I'll go to places and feel like a, you know, I'm that unhinged uh, customer. But in a nice way. Hopefully yeah. it brings <laughs> people smiles.
0: Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> what do you think this song is about? Because I, th- I think it's... um. I think it's an awesome opener because, like you say, it's it's got that rallying. And I can really imagine this as a as an opening to the film of your life specifically. I haven't
1: really thought about the actual meaning of it. I mean, hoist that rag and it's, uh, Rick, I guess, call to arms. Maybe it's about war. Yeah. Um, hoist is in, like, the right flag. The flag, yeah. Yeah.
0: He says, God used me as hammer boys to beat his weary drum today. The smell of blood, the drone of flies.
1: Yeah, this is about war. It's
0: about war, isn't it? (laughs) It's about war. And I love how I love his his guttural bark, like, hoist that rag. And you can just imagine, like, hoist that rag! That's much better. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like on a ship or something landing on a on a faraway shore, and he's like, he's like pulling the rope. Like, I don't know, I can just imagine the good ship Joe Black. (laughs)
1: Landing. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good ship if that's the soundtrack. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> a ship bad that ship, Joe <laughs> Black. the. Uh, the uh, I mean, uh, his his music generally is like you saying, "Oh, I like this tatty old ship and this sort of war cry." Of people coming. A lot of his uh, and. Uh, I was talking to, uh, years ago, I remember the friend, and they were like, his lyrics are absolute nonsense. But for some reason, it just, uh, you listen to it, and you're like, yeah, I'll do that. And he's got a very particular way. He's quite easy to parody as well. Mm. Um, But there's, uh, I always think of, just thinking of soundtracks. I'm going off on one, as I warned you beforehand that I would do. Um, um, There's in, I haven't seen it, but Robots, the animation. It's like a kid's animation. Um, And I don't know the full context to this, because I haven't seen the film but they use Underground uh, by Tom Waits, which has mm. that similar...
0: <laughs> thing,
1: yeah. Which actually ended up in... No, was it? No, it was a Tom Waits documentary. I was watching, not a Kurt Weill documentary. But they were talking about how around that time he was he had discovered kind of the work of Brecht and, um Kurt Weill, uh, Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weill. Um And the musically underground, it plays like what, like a German opera, an opera song, Um, and they use it in robots for when they go down to, like, the scrap heap, which is, like, hell. Mm. And they've got the track, and they put, like, an orchestra and strings over the top of it, and it's got that, it's the beat of it they use for, like, the slamming of the machines. Yeah. Uh, And it's just, yeah, I think a lot of his his Mm. music works very well for soundtracks, because it's all very dramatic. I mean, because he did... um, He's done some li- live shows, like plays, musicals. Well, he's not necessarily in them, but, uh, you know, Black Rider, which is based on the, um, the tale of the Magic Bullets, German fairy tale. And then did Alice. So it's Alice in Wonderland, but kind of film noir. Um, I think Blood Money is based on Wojciech, which is, I think, I mean, I could be very wrong, which I think is a German play about war and death. And mm. things but i could be quite wrong but but lots of things like that where he he's kind of scored um shows yeah. because i think the music really lends itself but he makes the album of him doing it and then if you want you know the videos of black rider i mean the whole show of black rider is on um youtube and it's like a german expressionist nightmare basically mm. Everything's very everyone's all in like white face paint with looking very scary and uh, doing these songs so it, it, his his music uh, can have many different lives.
0: I, do, I don't know that, so I'll have to check that out. It sounds yeah, Black absolutely Rider is all, amazing. It's, it's a really
1: weird one, and it's yeah, it's it it's the, this German fairy tale about someone um, trying to get magic bullets, and they make a deal with the devil mm. to get them. And there's uh, a really, it's all it's all quite unsettling musically as well. Um, that was one of the I've been trying to get every Tom Waits record. On vinyl, and that was one of the harder ones that I had to uh, I had to get secondhand.
0: I love this song so much. I love Tom Waits. It's the second time he's um, he's he's been mentioned in a soundtrack Odyssey. Todd, my first guest.
1: Is it, you can never turn back spring.
0: Yeah, beautiful, Dif- totally different vibe to mm-hmm. to hoist that rag. This is him. This is him being. Oh, I don't know. Like it's like I can't work out whether he's being cynical because it was it was. Released in 2004, Real Gone, the album that it's on. Um, and I think it's about war and it's about, I don't know whether he's having a moment of reflection about the war in, in Iraq. Because oh, yeah, that's what was okay, happening yeah. at the time. And um, yeah, so it's, it's like, and you've got these, these characters that he introduces you to, very shady sounding characters in the lyrics, Piggy Knowles and Tommy Shea. And it's like, who are they? They to me they sound like New York gangsters in the 20s. Well I
1: mean that's a I mean again that's like an ongoing theme throughout his his music his sort of shady characters and I mean I think that's where uh, you know once he kind of discovered Brecht and Vile mm. it's, it's it's they're all stories of war and misery and
2: mm.
1: pain and suffering and life being unfair and cruelty and uh, but it, it, in a, almost a, you know, satirical way. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Three Penny Opera, but base, uh, you've, that from, it says what Mac the Knife is from and Pirate Jenny and stuff like that. and uh, yeah, the, well, the production I saw, I think people do it in different ways, where um, McKeith is put to trial and sentenced to death and as he's about to be killed, the king comes and goes, no, no, we must save this man. Um, and then the, the basically the whole cast just looks at the audience and goes... But this doesn't happen in real life because real life is unfair. Mm. It's very, it's very <laughs> intense. Similar energies.
0: That is, whilst I was sort of researching your songs, and we'll we'll get to the reason why I did this specifically, but I came across <sighs> the Three Penny Opera mm-hmm. and made a mental note, like I need to watch that mm. because it's quite clear that it's a piece of work that's probably quite influ- influential for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's often considered one of the seminal, even if it's an operetta, but uh, it's considered one of the seminal cabaret yeah. pieces. Mm. Um, there's, there's lots of versions of it. There's like a, a black and white, movie version. There was also one in the nineties, I think, that Raoul Julia, um, Gomez Adams from the nineties Adams family mm. films, May You Rest in Peace. Um sorry for anyone who didn't realise he was dead. Um <laughs> the last role he ever did was M Bison in the Street Fighter film, so he did not go out in a blaze of glory. Though that film did give one of my favourite quotes, and I, I, I'm totally going to misquote it now, but he says something like, you may remember the day that M. Bison came to the village and destroyed your homes and your family, but to me, it was Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so, but Ralph <laughs> Julia plays McKeith in the uh, this this other version of it. Um, and it's uh, it's a very... Intense film. There's also, if people are interested in uh, the work of Kurt Weil, there is a film they did called September Songs where uh, they got lots of famous artists to do a cover Mm. and it's filmed in like this weird warehouse. So the opening credits is Nick Cave doing Mac the Knife and it's just Nick Cave. I mean, I don't know if it was recorded and they were all like lip syncing to it or whatever. Uh, but is Nick, Nick Cave walking through this warehouse going, and ah, the shark babe with teeth? He's just sort of like mm. uh, drone, like not droning. It almost, I don't know, it's just got like a draw to it's it. Like and it's really. pouring out of him. Yeah, and there was also um, PJ Harvey. Mm. I think she did Soldier's Wife. But there's a, not from Three Penny Opera, but um, from The Rise and Fall of the City of Mahogany, uh, the Alabama song, which obviously was famously covered by The Doors, mm. David Bowie, many people. Um, and there's this, if, w- so visually what sums it up for me, is just there's these just really rancid looking people in a truck um, and they're all dirty and kind of, you know, white face paint, powder, all a bit off and... Sallow eyes, and everyone looks really unwell, and they're just drinking from these like comically oversized jars with like whiskey written on it. And it's just this truck bouncing up and down, and they're going, Show
2: me the way to
1: the next whiskey bar. Um, and I just think the work and I, it really reflects in Tom Waits' stuff is just these nasty, dirty characters, mm. just abhorrent mm. people. I love it yeah Yeah. see I've I've gone off on one that was we've only just got into the opening credits and I'm popping off
0: alright then so we've had the opening credits we've had the opening to your film act one is your coming of age Mm -hmm. so it could be a song that reminds you of growing up um, your early years your school days your teenage years summers uh, or maybe it's the first band that you loved or an artist that first made you get into music so what is your what is what is soundtrack in your coming of age joe black uh
1: the soundtrack see this was a straight because i nearly picked a song from this band that wasn't at that time but i went with this one because i have really distinct memories of seeing it so it's helena by my chemical romance and uh, the reason that is is because it's you know i was so this was 2004 i believe that came out so uh, I'm kind of discovering myself um, as, a, as a person. So I'm in school, so I'm 33 now. So I would have been... 14. 14, yeah. 13, 14. Yeah. And, uh, discover- and they were kind of theatrical and angry and uh, emotional. And when that came out, it blew my mind. Because uh, I can't remember whether I saw I'm Not Okay first or helena it might have been helena i can't remember what was the first single but i me and my friends you know a bunch of goths uh and uh, you know the music video it was the funeral and uh, it's it was just so gothic and theatrical and emotional and i have really distinct memories of hearing it and it was when you know the music video channel so you know it it wasn't Mm. so easy to just find a a music video online, you had to see it on the music channel, you know, you'd go around friends and just leave the music channel on. And then we'd w- wait to see if something came up and that's sometimes how you discovered new things. Mm. Um, and then that would play quite a lot. Um, on whatever music channel it was. Uh, Kerrang, did that have TV Karang, channel? Yep. MTV2.
0: That was yeah. like the alternative. I think it was probably
1: Kerrang that mm. we would, we would have had on, uh, which when you think about it, imagine a TV channel that just plays music videos on,
0: it completely.
1: was heaven. It was heaven. <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing. It was it's amazing. Now, now we can, you know, just go on YouTube and find whatever yeah. we want. But that, and I remember it played a lot and I'd see it a lot and I absolutely adored it. And it was the first um, band I ever saw live. So we I did. saw Michael was on the Three Cheers of Sweet Revenge tour. And I remember I, you know, a I, I total novice to this. I went into the mosh pit. Uh, and um, immediately had to leave the mosh pit because I was like, all right, I'm sweaty and... uh,
0: I don't like it. (laughs) I
1: remember they they, they opened with Thank You for the Venom. Um, uh, And I just... I remember going... It was Portsmouth Guildhall. I remember having to go to the toilets to, like, splash my face with water and have a moment because I was so sweaty and so exhausted from, like, dancing around and stuff. Uh, And that... uh, Yeah, I remember that concert. I remember they had these big banners of the stained-glass windows the the stained glass windows of the the artwork um behind them it was yeah it was amazing and it, it I, that would be my first concert and I remember my mum picked me up afterwards and walked me home and i just had the best night
0: amazing that
1: was when you had to go to the you know venue box office to get your tickets yeah um and we got the tickets and it was it was glorious and set me on a path of ridiculous gothicness, i'm sure
2: well
0: this is this is it this so this this um, this act coming of age and the tracks that people choose is often my favourite and it was particularly I was particularly looking forward to discussing this one with you because we're we're exactly the same age we're born Mm -hmm. in the same month the same year Um, I know that's creepy that I know that but you you're on the internet hun so (laughs) yeah I
1: I've done Drag Race people know every uh Detail. Sometimes, if I, even my friends that have been on it, if I need to figure out when someone's birthday is. In fact, it was uh, the other day. It was Ginny Lemon's birthday, and I I I just saw some happy birthdays things, and I was like, "Is it?" So we just Google it to check. But also, it's like with these, it's like when you Google Ginny Lemon birthday, it will say Ginny Lemon real name, and it's like I know that information, but it's strange that they, you know you can Google it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So no, oh no, yeah, I'm used to. So we are exactly the same. Age. So we would have had everything would have been coming out at the
0: exactly, same yeah. Time. And I just I found it so interesting that this was your track because I came to my chemical romance <coughs> much later in life.
1: Did you come with the Black Parade?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just I was hesitant. At Black,
1: I was hesitant at Black Parade originally because I was so attached to Three Cheers for Three Revenge, and then I had gone. I can't remember the year that. Black Parade came out but I had got into more like, cabaret stuff right mm. and it um, was not marketed well I guess marketed in a way that uh, suggested it was a cabaret album and I kept those two, two those two things were very separate in my mind so I uh, couldn't accept that they'd done a cabaret album and I didn't really listen to it that much because I was like well that's not that's not the same thing. And that, when you re-listen to it as an adult, you are like, this is a cabaret album. Right. Freeders, not three, um Black Parade, you listen to it and it, it plays out like an operetta. Um, and the, the musically, it's all swing, polka, cabaret music, mm. uh, ragtime. So if you translate any of Black Parade to piano, mm. it just sounds like a cabaret song. The hmm. Particularly the stuff like dead or um, teenagers. Mm. Um,
0: I love that song.
1: Yeah, but if if you, so, if you take the yeah, Godaime, God, God. Cool, you, you put it on piano, it sounds really ragtimey, mm. and then lyrically as well, it's so satirical. Like just imagine like a bum bum man, teenager, scared the living shit out of me. With like grading, yeah. it's yeah, it's immediate, and it's you know. Though uh, his career is obviously uh, in the toilet and uh, not a very nice man, Marilyn Manson. The Golden Age of Grotesque album is a similar thing where you revisit it mm. and you go, oh, this is a cabaret album. Um, so it's it's interesting to see, and I, I, I always find this really fascinating, where things you enjoy uh, meet at some sort of crossroads. And I loved My Chemical Romance, and then suddenly they uh, later release a cabaret album when that's ultimately where I ended up yeah um, and suddenly realizing those two things and you get this a lot with with 80s people actually is a lot of 80s singers end up doing a lot of three penny opera for say um, mm. uh, they end up doing a lot of Kurt Weill and Bertolt Brecht and cabaret style music like David J from Bauhaus ended mm. up going really that way because I toured with him um, and I was the sport act and I didn't quite realize why I was being put on with one at Bauhaus and then I saw a show and I was like oh he's it's because he's doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Mark Olmond from soft Cell did the same thing. Um, Cindy Lauper was in a production of three penny opera. Um, uh, pet shop boys also do. It's, it's strange where, where that kind of intersection of where stuff actually can be a companion to each other.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah uh, the the three cheers of sweet Red Jam and Hela was definitely yeah, like a a gateway drug to the alternative lifestyle. you know we were warned in the news about the emos and the goths <laughs> and that happened
0: yeah it, it it was really interesting to me because, um, I wasn't into them when they first came out, and uh my sort of coming of age was very indie mm-hmm. sort of guitar music, the strokes, libertines at the time, sort of noisy guitars very mm. male dominated and so I didn't get My Chemical Romance when they mm. came out I didn't get the theatre of it um, and it was only really after I got into drag mm. that I realised oh this is this is this is drama this is theatre Yeah, um, and then really started to appreciate them
1: because I was never into the kind of noisy guitar indie stuff at all it, for me it, I think I need I, my music needed that theatricality which is actually something, when I go see people, I don't go to see a lot of shows, like music shows. And I recently, so i had seen three, over the past year, I'd seen three big people live. So I so Jack White, St Vincent and Placebo. Nice. And actually, uh, Jack White and St Vincent really um, had that theatrical element to them. Uh, even though with Jack White is just playing music, there is not a set necessarily um, but there is a theatricality to it. And mm. actually, as much as I love Placebo's music, after the show, I was like, I've seen them now. That that, that was it, because they just stood there. And my, I might as well have put the album on. And he, as much as I love the music, I, I now have no desire to see them live again because it didn't quench any more thirst other than I love the songs and I love the singing and the music. and, and what But St Vincent uh, was very theatrical, um, and I loved the music and visually it was a treat Jack White I think there was a clear passion mm. with it which is I guess why I didn't I mean the White Stripes are very theatrical as well uh, but that's why I guess I didn't gel with the kind of noisy guitar stuff because that was just If I guess if you were into music just you know you just liked your music that it, it would tickle that fancy that, that's the phrase isn't it yeah tickle that fancy tickle your pickle um, yeah tickle your pickle <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but I think yes, stuff like my chemical in a, in, a, in a way on reflection you go oh it's because it it tickled the pickle of, <laughs> of, 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 of that theatricality and I hadn't really thought about it like that actually
0: act two is first love
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I asked for a song that might soundtrack the feeling of first falling in love with someone or something and something that might remind you of that, that, head over heels crazy time when you first realise that you're head over heels for something or someone. So, what is your what is your first love track?
1: I've been dying to talk about this, and I've had no excuse until today, which is possibly why you got everything within seconds of sending your email, because I've been waiting. So, this band, before I say what it is, uh, this band I would say is probably the most in terms of a, a a gateway drug, in terms of performing and kind of realising who I was because I was a very alternative person. Uh, you know, I like the goth shit. I like the emo shit. I liked, you know, some heavy rock stuff. And this was a band that combined, because I also like musical theatre and cabaret and that sort of stuff. And this was a band that combined uh, a kind of punk sensibility with a cabaret. Mm. And this is the Dresden Dolls and I fully would not be doing what I do without them because this song and this is why I've been so excited to say this. Right. I saw the Dresden Dolls at I've seen uh, three times. So I saw them at the London Astoria um, when they released the Yes Virginia album. And then uh, later on, uh, the, the, the the last time, I, the middle bit is the important bit here, but the last time was when they did the reunion shows and I saw them at the Troxy. This middle one was at the very last minute. Um, I decided to go see them at the Roundhouse when they were recording a DVD. And um, it was a very last minute thing, like a few days before, uh, it, you know, I was a what, 16 or 17 or something. Probably closer to 17 because it had an effect um, and something happened at 17. Um, a few days before, just decided to go, could afford it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, saved up pocket money, bought this expensive ticket at the time. Um, just, you know, phoned up the Roundhouse box office. They had some. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to London with a friend, got stranded afterwards and... My mum's boyfriend at the time had to go drive to Woking to pick us up. So the song is Sing by the Dresden Dolls. And the reason I picked this is because this night, from from outside the venue, there were performers. You went inside the venue, there were performers. There was circus, Uh, there was busking, juggling, clowns, mimes. You went into the main room, there was stuff happening. And the support acts for this show were all variety acts um or people doing variety spots, so I think there was something like eight or nine support acts, all doing short bits, and the MC was Margaret Cho. Um, so Margaret Cho was the host, and there were people doing sear wheel, there was like skits against, there was three stages, like main stage and then two smaller ones there were people doing clown stuff against, like, video backdrops. Jason Webley came out and sang some songs on accordion. Skip Shirey came out and played something on marbles and bowls. Like, it was just this mad variety extravaganza. And we... So it's important to remember that there's lots and lots of people doing everything over the venue. Like, all of, like, 40, 50 people, Mm -hmm. right, in terms of, like... Uh, on the stage and uh, in the hallways and the lobby and all of that stuff. Just Dores did the set and they had people come out and do like cabaret acts to the songs while it's happening. Great, lovely. At the very end of the show, they started doing Sing, which uh, is a song, uh, you know, at face value is just about, just sing, just do it, just do the thing. And then what happened when the song started building up is every single performer came onto the stage.
2: Wow.
1: Every... Oh, I get really emotional thinking about that. Aww. Um All came to the stage, and it was the roundhouse, and I had, you know... Little kid from Portsmouth had gone to London, I was in this room with thousands of people, and all of these acts of all these different people were on stage. And as the song, like, built up and up and up, and everyone was singing and holding up, like, torches, and the phone, and it's just the... Ah, 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 and it really built up, and that was the exact, like... This spark moment where I went, I'm gonna do shows. That was the. I remember the exact moment of like looking at my friend and then looking at the stage and going, I'm gonna do something. And that was the exact moment I decided to become a former.
0: That is a fucking beautiful story, thank you. That that venue is incredible, so I could really, really picture that. Um, I hadn't listened to the Dresden, Dresden Dolls before you had sent no. me this. So I've had a lot of fun mm. like researching them. And when I, when I, read about them and understood what they were doing mm-hmm. so the, the 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 phrase that they coined their style as brechtian punk mm-hmm. cabaret mm-hmm. because amanda palmer said she was terrified that the press would invent a name that would involve the word gothic so she wanted <laughs> she wanted to take control of their narrative and um so they were part of this underground scene that that really kind of Came to momentum in the early two thousands as dark cabaret, mm-hmm. and and when I when I read that I was like, oh right yeah of course Joe mm-hmm. has chosen this then,
1: mm-hmm. and then these you know I, there's lots of sort of first love type things, and I I went with this one because I've been desperate to tell that story, of exactly, I don't know how many people can pinpoint the exact moment, like there are videos on it's on YouTube like it's on YouTube it's on the DVD. Mm. There is video evidence of the exact moment. Not, I'm not, you know, you can't see me in it. I'm just in the crowd. But the fact that there is a HD fully realised video of the exact moment that I decided that I was going to do something, no matter what, I was just going to do it. I just sing, you know.
2: Because
1: I'm not, you know, I'm not a technically very good singer. I'm a character singer. And that, the whole thing of that was just do it anyway. Every time I hear it, I always just think of that
0: the ability to tell a story is so much more important than technical ability with singing i think
1: yeah and it's it's and, it, and like the song says it just like just 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 fucking do it really isn't yeah. it and it uh, i mean all of their 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 tracks are uh, really it's phenomenal they're just phenomenal you know i uh, ironically now looking back the only song i don't i kind of if i'm skipping through things i will skip coin operated boy because that was the big one um and that was the one that's overplayed and the one that everyone would probably know if they knew mm. of them um and their songs are bizarre and beautiful and funny and serious and strange and touching and uh, but there's a song called first orgasm where she just narrates about Having a fast orgasm of the morning, <laughs> of
2: the morning. I love uh, but that's that. it. Goes not the just, first. Not of orgasm life.
1: Orgasm of the morning is cold and hard as hell. Uh, there won't <laughs> be any second coming, as far as I can tell. <laughs> is the lyric? Uh, it's just brilliant, and it's it's stuff like that which is done in a really sincere way, mm. but it is is very funny. <clears throat> and then you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if we should put a trigger warning on this, but um, there is a song about abortion, which is called "Mandy Goes to Med School." and it is uh you know she she does it obviously i don't want to say flippantly but the point is that she's being open about these experiences she's had mm. and it's done as like a sexy like jazz song mm. uh, um and it the lyrics are like you don't i did not realize for a long time what it was about i would just be like singing along and it's just like boom, boom, boom. and it's um What's the lyric? Oh, it's uh, how about a nine month vacation and a six, um, no vacation and a two foot coffin.
2: Mm.
1: It's, and you listen to it, you're like,
2: fuck,
1: that's like horrible, mm. but it's just the way they do it. Again, very Brechtian is to take these horrible subjects uh, uh, and n- n- not be flippant, but to satirise it I guess in a way and put it in a context it's like the way if you take a perfectly happy song and play it slow and sad it takes on a new meaning you're taking these horrible subjects and putting them into you know fun jazzy music and she's singing about something that's obviously very personal to her and she's been open and honest about in other material as well she's got multiple songs about that that are all very
2: mm.
1: um, kind of happy sounding
2: mm.
1: and even when she does it live she'll make a really flippant comment oh this is about this and then just bounce into it <coughs> um. one one
0: of the one of the most interesting things about doing this podcast and finding out about people people's musical journeys is um I get to find out things and get really nerdy about them that I wouldn't have mm-hmm. and when i read that the Dresden dolls <coughs> um described their style as brechtian punk cabaret i was like what's what on earth is mm-hmm. brechtian and then i read yeah. that you know, it refers to Bertolt Brecht, who, as you will know, is a German 1930s theatre performance pioneer. And and when I read about that, I was like, oh, right, okay, And this is why, you know, Joe tags things as like Weimar. And Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, there's a lot of German references. And I would never have known that before. And I I was really grateful to learn about that. Literally in Cabaret, the song Life is a Cabaret is um, a beautiful song about somebody's <clears throat> friend dying.
1: Oh, uh, have you ever seen... Have you seen the, a production of Cabaret?
0: The most recent one? Mm. Yes.
1: Because it's not just about that, is it? It's, uh, yeah. This is what people misunderstand about. Sorry, going to go off one. The, the Liza version of it, obviously in the context of the film, a lot of people know the songs but haven't seen the film and they're always like fuck this is bleak because it is it's the whole film is so bleak and everyone thinks it's a it's uh, not but in you know in the context of the whole thing in in particularly in, in live productions of it and this new one uh, she does that song when she's at her absolute lowest mm. like everything's fucked uh, and she go, you know Which? life is a cabaret and it's uh, very like we, th- that production of it, we saw with we, we saw Jesse Buckley and Eddie Redmayne in it. But Jesse Buckley in particular is a very uh, that's the version that's now on the soundtrack they've released. Very um, emotional, raw, angry performer. Uh, you know, will go all out. Uh, and when we saw her do cabaret, luckily we saw it like a week. In, it was like a week or two since they started, and she ended up taking a lot of time off from the show. Because she absolutely fucked her voice. Because she just fucking goes for it. And. That. The way she does that song. It's like. It was so spiteful. And spitty. And full of vitriol. And bitterness. And resentment. And anger. Um, and it was just from like. I, we, everyone, she's got a standing ovation. Mm. At that point. And that is the finale of the show. But then more <laughs> happens afterwards. But I just like. You know. She does it. And on the very last note. She shoots through the floor. And it we are like crying just mm. because it's not, you think, you think about when you cry at a theatrical performance because something is very sad. Um, you know, a, a ballad, a torch song, but uh, being brought to tears by this woman and it, the character specifically sings it out of tune as well in, mm. in bits because the character of Sally Bowles is not supposed to be able to sing. Um, and to be brought to tears by someone screaming from their raspy spitting this song like crying at someone's anger and frustration is just I think that's a, a really good indication of the, just the pure emotion from it um, yeah so all of these things like I said that there's that kind of intersection where all these interests kind of meet sometimes you can discover something that the things you enjoy are inspired by later and then suddenly realise that everything makes more sense Yeah. You can go, well, I can go, I love the Dresden Dolls. I love My Chemical I'm trying, you know, I love Tom Waits. I love, and then some other stuff that's later that we'll get to. Uh, and then you go, oh, it's because of Brecht, because of Vile. There's and a the, thread. Uh, there's, a, yeah, there's another one that you're on in this. I don't, I don't want to get to it yet. But um, that, it didn't occur to me why I liked it so much until I realised what it's supposed to sound like, and actually, one that doesn't come up in this is "Poor Unfortunate Souls" from *The Little Mermaid*. Uh, as always for me um, uh, just something about it sparked something, and I I loved it. It's because villain song. It's campy. It's v- vampy. It's cabaret. Mm. And the reason is, is because it's meant. To, it's this. Um, it's got the same musicality as *Pirate Jenny* from *The Three Penny Opera*.
2: Mm.
1: So a lot of the same chord patterns, and uh, you know. Journey with it musically, uh, the same as Pirate Jenny. So it is meant to be a cabaret song that was influenced by Three Penny Opera, and these th- these threads keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. Yeah, you know, I think on face value it's a campy villain Disney song, but but actually it's inspired by these 30s satirical
2: theatre.
0: Yeah, and it's always so nice when you can conne- you can connect those threads in your head and be like, right. oh, I'm not, you know. <laughs> I my my brain makes sense like there there's reasons why I like this and why I liked this as a child and why I like this as a 16 year old why I like this as a 30 year old and um I think that's one of the most satisfying things in life um actually kind of understanding yourself and and understanding your own identity and why you think a certain way about certain things and why music, film, certain art will always punch you in a place that other things mm. just won't.
1: There was a, just, sorry, I'm going to keep going off on one, but uh, one that really sticks out to me as well as as a kid. <clears throat> I had the videotape of Oliver, um, mm. the, the musical film version, and um, I would replay and replay and replay. I'm reviewing the situation uh, by Fagin, which is the, the, technically one of the villain songs, right? It, it, you know, it, it's sort of a villain, sort of not for intensive purposes, that's sort of how that's mm. given, is that he's not a nice man, but he's, you know, anyway, mm. I won't go into Oliver, but that song. And I played it, and something about it was just so satisfying for me. And then you realise, well, it's klezmer. Mm. Uh, it's got a kind of cabaret, klezmer vibe to it. And then you realise that, you know, klezmer is a, is a Jewish music. And then you think of Kurt Weill and Bertolt Brecht, that were Jewish musicians that did music, and so again, those was me being obsessed with this song as a kid, suddenly like as an adult, when I realized where culturally this style of music had come from, I mean, uh, I shouldn't ignore the fact that he's possibly an unkind stereotype of Jewish people, um, which obviously, you know, you don't recognize as a child and yeah. as an adult, you can go, Oh, okay. Um, but just want to reference that. I, I do understand that might be the case with Fagan or certainly is the case with Fagan. um, just in case people are like, well, did you know, I'm uh, just going to acknowledge that. But in terms of, you know, uh, musically mm. with, the, with the klezmer, mm. um, then relating that, to you know, these Jewish men that wrote these theatrical pieces in Germany and of course had to leave. Um, mm. It's it just again, those threads continue to
0: yeah. be threatened. Love it. And this is why I loved your playlist so much because as, as I started to understand the songs and, and the order and, and the threads, I was just like, oh, it really works. It really, really flows and works. <laughs> act three. This act three is point of conflict or despair. So this could be anything from something that's helped you through dark times, um, something that you go to if you're feeling sad or in a disparative mood. Um, Or something dramatic that could be playing, you know, during a a, a fight scene as you storm off in anger. So, so Sojo Black, what is your point of conflict or despair song?
1: This song, I'm convinced when in any media it pops up. uh, Because it has appeared in a number of uh, television and films. And uh, this this will have (coughs) spoilers uh, for things in it so if you uh oh well, fuck it you're gonna i'm gonna say it. anyway um this <laughs> this song starts playing when shit is going to go down essentially is it's every time i hear it. and we were watching and i can't remember what it was called but it was this dark comedy about um i'd had this not in the theory because it's quite clear it's not some deep dark secret that this song plays when shit's gonna go down we were watching this dark comedy about a guy Like a cannibal guy that sells meat on the black market it was on disney plus it was like a dark comedy about uh, cannibal black market basically (laughs) and there's a a scene when i was like something's gonna happen and there was a string track of something playing in the background and i was like this is really familiar but it was it wasn't a a string version and i just sort of zoned out of their talking to listen to it and i was like i fucking knew it (laughs) And it was exit music for a film by Radiohead. And that's how I knew something was going to go wrong in that scene. Mm. Because there was a string version of exit music for a film playing. Infamously, what it was mostly used to, very horrifying effect, was the episode of Black Mirror. Where the uh, young man has to go and um, uh, do things to stop some things leaking. And then they release everything anyway. And that is the track that plays as he realises all these horrible things he's had to do to try and save himself and none of it mattered. Mm. And it's playing, it plays at the end of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. There is uh, a scene in Umbrella Academy where it starts playing as people are travelling to stuff and it just that first... Dun, 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 dun. And I looked at my boyfriend Aaron and I was like, shit, gonna, it's going to happen. And then also the one that really got me in terms of it was Westworld where they use a lot of Radiohead in Westworld, actually, because it's about robots. So they use a lot of OK Computer because it's about technology and robots and things. So they have, like, saloon piano versions of things because it's all in the Wild West. Mm. And there is a scene where a horrific massacre happens and they have a big swelling orchestra version of exit music for a film as everyone is getting brutally murdered. Oh, wow. And uh, it... Again, it was playing... and I, I paused it and I was like, I fucking knew it. I fucking, (laughs) this song. So I couldn't not use this song for like a point of conflict or like a darkest moment. Mm. Because I think, I mean, I really, I like Radiohead a lot. I couldn't, it's one of those bands that I really love. And I can put an album on from beginning to end. Couldn't name more than 15 songs though. Uh, So I can put it on and go, I really like this one. Wouldn't be able to name it.
2: Mm.
1: An excellent music for a film is that when I first heard it, was when you hear those songs that make you stop. Mm. <clears throat> and it, it, it's lyrically, it's horrible. Mm. It's uh, pure spite.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
1: Um, and the construction of it is it's so downbeat. Mm. It's almost not, not mumbled, but it's just. From your sleep. It's just, it's mm. really downplayed, and then it just does that. Boom, boom,
2: boom, 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 boom. Yeah.
1: And then it gets now, you know, you can laugh that spineless laugh. Mm. Uh, we hope your rules and wisdom um, choke you.
2: Yeah.
1: And now we are young in everlasting peace. We hope that you choke. We hope that you choke. Like, yeah. Uh, just nasty. Yeah. And, and, I just uh, Tom York, I find fascinating because I think he's, I think he's like a nice, polite English bloke who's really switched on, and loves music, uh, and I think he's really not <clears throat> afraid to be raw and emotional and um, definitely really bare at all. And then you listen to interviews with him, and he's just he's just a nice, nice bloke who likes music and, and uh, really enjoys being creative. And mm-hmm. I find that, and I have the same thing with Nick Cave, where as a as a queer individual, I am always fascinated by heterosexual men <clears throat> that are not uh, not afraid to bear emotions. Mm. Uh, because, you know, I was brought up around, uh, you know, heterosexual middle-aged men who didn't do that. So does people like Tom York that, <clears throat> you know, he's a family man that's expressing himself very creatively. And Nick Cave, um, again, uh, you know... Uh, obviously since has really, you know, become an entirely different artist. But even when he's was at his angriest, he wasn't afraid to be emotional and raw and mm. religious and uh, really just just bear it all and that's yeah, that's that exhibition for film and Radiohead in general. Uh I just love that it's it's very open. They'll just
2: say it.
0: Yeah. I love I love what you just said about um heterosexual men being able to voice their emotions and
1: in an authentic way as well because you know uh, you get your ed sheerans and all that but there's a team of writers doing that like uh, you know uh, these kind of polite nice boy guitar singer songwriter types they're not writing these things maybe they'll have some input but there's the real authenticity you can feel around Mm. people like <clears throat> like that, male songwriters, particularly because it yeah, it blows my mind that these perfectly normal heterosexual men, uh, sometimes older, mm. uh, are willing to <clears throat> bear it all without necessarily the bravado. And uh, Radiohead is a they're not theatrical musically. They're very th- musically. They're very theatrical
2: mm.
1: live. Tom York is uh, f- from what <laughs> I've ever seen them live myself in person, but from videos. He closes his eyes. Yeah. He stood there with his eyes closed, just letting it all pour out. Yeah. And I've seen Nick Cave live and uh, he just sings the songs and he means it.
0: Yeah. An interesting story from when they, when they recorded OK Computer, which... is
1: about the string section? No. No,
0: I'll no. Talk about that in a
2: second.
0: <laughs> okay. <coughs> um, is that they recorded it in a house that belonged to James Seymour, an actor... <coughs> And um, it was in Oxfordshire, which is where they're from. Um, and Tom York says that this house was definitely haunted. And when he recorded the <laughs> vocals to Exit Music, he said somebody was standing next to him. And I really liked that because um, this song is about joint suicide. It's <laughs> Baz Luhrmann sent him a couple of scenes from <coughs> Romeo and Juliet and asked asked Tom York to to write some lyrics and some songs. And I think initially this song was probably supposed to accompany the suicide scene at the Mm. end, but it's, it's over the closing credits. It's perfect. Love it. But yeah, like I just, I loved the Gothic drama of that. Like he's, he's being sincere. He's being earnest when he said, you know, it was haunted and someone's definitely stood next to me, but I just, I loved the, the, yeah, the, the haunted drama of that story and like how that weaves into the lyrics and just, yeah. I thought that was I didn't, I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> my, my, my story was a bit more flippant. I was listening to, uh, to him being interviewed on a podcast. Um, him and uh, Johnny were being interviewed on Smartless with um, Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, and Jason Bateman, which is a great podcast. And uh, they were talking about bringing in the strings. And because musically they're, they're not, you know, very classical. Hmm. And they brought in all these classical session musicians to do strings. And basically, they were having none of it. And we're like, we're, we're like really great. Like, the guy that was like organizing the string players was really grumpy. I mean, I could be misremembering this, but um, it was really grumpy. And they were like, what's this shit? And they didn't really get it. And they sort of walked in and went, oh, fine. And just played what was on the thing. They were like, you're not going to get any more. It, it was like, you've tried your best, mate. Like, we're, they're not going to give you any more. Just get it done this is what the guy organising the string said to them and they were like, oh, all right, well. And then, of course, they make the this song comes out and it's just an orchestral haunting masterpiece. Mm. And to think that the string section was there and we're like, oh, fuck, just do it. You're not going to get any more out of us. Oh, there you go, fine. It. <laughs> and, and that's the result. And I think that goes to say a lot about the, the, uh, the work of um, Radiohead.
0: Act four.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Enlightenment <clears throat> or euphoria. So the moment in a film that is pure joy um, or, you know, a moment of profundity. So you realise something really, really incredible. You know, the character arc pinnacle, basically, of, of, of a film. What What is yours?
1: <clears throat> this one's really on the nose, actually, to be <laughs> honest. So uh, it is a song that is about someone's realisation moment. And it is poor Jack from The Nightmare Before Christmas by Danny Elfman and just to I was saying earlier about things that realising you like something and realising it's all influenced by the same thing The Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack was made while Danny Elfman was listening to the soundtrack of Three Penny Opera Right which when you then listen to it and you go oh god It, it like you suddenly again it clocks and you go "What no wonder I like this musically because the other things I like have all been influenced by this other thing <clears throat> and that thread just continues to keep threading so uh It's really on the nose because it is quite literally an epiphany moment for the character. And why I picked it is because I was in a not very healthy relationship um, at one point. Um, Quite abusive emotionally, not physically. Um, And I used to just get away from them. I used to go on bike rides. And I lived in Portsmouth at the time. And I used to just cycle at night because there was no one around, just around South Sea Common. So just big patches of grass and I could just go round and round and I could cycle for ages. <clears throat> no one was around. I didn't have no traffic, all of that sort of stuff, up and down, up and down. And you had your uh, MP3 player. I didn't have an iPod, I had an MP3 player. And obviously with these things you can have limited stuff on them because they could only hold like a couple of albums or whatever because I had a little shitty one. And I had the soundtrack for Nightmare for Christmas. <clears throat> and I was just listening to it because I liked listening to it in autumn. It was every year I would put it on at autumn because the air was like had a crisp and there's that kind kind of autumny smell, and I think it's a very autumny soundtrack.
2: Mm.
1: Halloween, Mm -hmm. all of that, and I was just riding my bike, and then got, it was playing through, and then that started playing, and it's uh, about Jack realizing that he's tried to do this thing, and he's kind of forgotten who he was. And actually, he needs to be the best him he can be. And it started playing, and I stopped my bike. And just in the dark, stood on this in South Sea Common. Just on my own, just holding a bike, listening to this in my, in my headphones. And I was like, I need to get out of this relationship. And it was I mean, so on the nose, because it's literally about this character <clears throat> rediscovering who they are. And that was the moment that I was like, this needs to end. I need to not put up with this anymore.
2: Mm.
1: And that's, that's why I picked that. <clears throat> and then Same. when I saw that live, I've seen it live twice. I saw music from the films of Tim Burton at the Royal Albert Hall where they did all the Tim Burton stuff. And then at the very end, he did Nightmare Before Christmas and Danny Elfman came out and sang it. And then I saw Nightmare for Christmas live at Wembley Arena <clears throat> with some of the original cast. Uh, so like Hack Kaffin O'Hara, did Sally and Ken Pei did Oogie Boogie. And obviously Danny Elfman voices Jack as well as like a couple of other people. And uh, they, they play the film Mm. Um, and then when it gets to a song it all goes black the conductor turns around and goes please welcome to stage He's the voice of you know in this case Jack Daniel uh, it comes out and does a song and then watching being the Royal Albert Hall was amazing because he did it then but <clears throat> having watched the whole film and the whole journey of the character years and years and years after the, the actual situation with the with the relationship um, watching the film play out and then a oh at the BBC Orchestra just swelling because it's a lot of like gongs and crashes and all of it, and uh, just seeing the original performer. Now, actually, more poignant is Danny Elfman is not a young man anymore. <clears throat> you know, this this film was released in the early nineties, um, and Danny Elfman. You know, nearly twenty years later, when I saw this, having also himself now having a a moment where he's. This is before that, because over lockdown, he made his own solo album, first solo album he's ever done. Mm. You know, he had Ongo Boingo and, and things like that in the 80s. But a turning point for for him, and watching this this now, you know, not young man who wrote this thing 20 years ago, performing it in an arena when they hadn't... They'd only just started doing the show. Now the show happens every year, but this time it was the first time it had come to the UK. They were doing it live. And it was just, yeah, all, all around just real inspiring and a a kind of it doesn't matter you can always just dis- rediscover who you are you can always turn it round. and I yeah very literal on that <clears throat> front but I think uh really poignant
0: I think um it's this film is a real cultural moment like along with this film and like the corpse bride that came out quite quite a lot later but this film came out in 1993, and it was really pioneering in terms of its animation style.
1: <clears throat> it took four years to make.
0: Wow, did it? Yeah. But it, it's like, it, I feel like it kind of gave permission to people in our generation to like accept, like, actually, I quite like spooky stuff. Yeah. Or, like, uh, strange stuff.
1: It's kind of, yeah, it's sort of a uh, one of those things where it's almost... It, I guess in some ways it's a bit eye-rolling because, oh, you're like, that man for Christmas. But actually, <laughs> um, you know, you know a fucking Jack Skellington backpack on a, a little golf kid or whatever. Uh, and you go, because it... But it is about mm. discovering yourself and where someone tries to be something they're not. Yeah. And it goes wrong. Only because that's not who they are. And that I guess in a way that can be mis misread as like stay in your lane, but it's not that's not how I think it's meant to be read
0: right. I think
1: it's meant to be read as like you know uh, be true to yourself um and who you are deep down, not what you've been told
0: exactly um, yeah and yeah. that's why
1: that's why I think it talks to people um <clears throat> again it, it's kind of that over in that kind of overdone thing um because, but I think ultimately because it, that's what it did to people.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, it's him, it's him <clears throat> realising, like, yeah, I might be into spooky stuff and every day is Halloween, but that doesn't mean I'm a bad per- person. I can mm-hmm. still put this right. I might have done something bad, but I've still got <clears throat> that self-awareness to go and, and put this right for mm-hmm. people now. Like, my actions had impact, I'm going to put it right. Mm-hmm. so it's just really nice character character arc isn't it
1: and, uh, th- and that that song lyrically is amazing mm. and the the way it swells um I just I've got to go through the lyrics my mad. know what have do I done what have do I done how could I be so kind um and the first time since I don't remember when I felt just like my old bony self again and oh, I, Jack, the Pumpkin King. Oh, you know, that, that's it when he goes, that's right, I am the Pumpkin King. And he throws off the, rips off the Santa thing. And I just can't wait until next Halloween because I've got some new ideas. Oh, really makes me, <laughs> and The goes, and by God, I'm really going to give it all my might. It's just, oh, I love it. Yeah. And being, seeing, seeing Danny often do that live with the film playing behind him was phenomenal.
0: I bet that was awesome. Yeah. Act five. Right. Death scene. So this could be a track that you want played at your funeral. Or if you're feeling particularly <clears throat> imaginative, it could be, you know, something that's playing over your imagined death scene. Mm. You know, and I'm always really intrigued to find out what people <clears throat> choose for this. Like... Mm. How do you sum up a life? Like, you know, how, is it going to be super sad? Do you want people to be crying? Or is it going to be euphoric? Like, it's, it, I think it's always really telling how people deal with death because it's very, it's very easy to sort of um, reflect it in how they see life. So, Joe Black, <clears throat> what is your death scene song?
1: It is Tonight We Fly by the Divine Comedy. This is the song I want played at my funeral, <clears throat> but, uh, I, you said that you know. How do you summarize death, and I or life, um, life and death, mm. and I think this song does that. Um, it is <clears throat> so. I first I, uh, I knew the Divine Comedy, uh, knew a couple of songs, uh, but I had worked with and was a big fan of Duke Special, who uh, works with the Divine Comedy a lot. So he's friends with uh, Peter. Duke Special is uh, friends with Neil Hannon, who's the singer of the Divine Comedy, and they did an RTE, which I think is Irish BBC, right? <clears throat> it, it's it's an Irish TV channel, right? Um, an RTE RTE special with Neil Hannon, where they covered each other's songs, they did duets, did their own songs, and it was just this sort of strange little musical documentary thing slash concert, and I again not that familiar with the Divine Comedy, and they did this bit where there were two, almost like, dueling grand pianos. So there were two pianos, grand pianos next to each other. And they did this song. Um, Because the song's meant to be played with, like, an orchestra. And it was just two pianos, and they both singing and playing it. Um, And I was like, this song is beautiful. Like I sort of stopped and was like, wow, this song. beautiful. So I looked it up, and then what came up was a live version of it from the Divine Comedy, with an orchestra Mm. and it's just this particular video of Neil Hannon Calm as Anything there's a full orchestra and it's a very swelling song it's you know drums Mm. and then these strings like and it just swells and swells and he has this what I'm assuming is whiskey Um, and he just says thank you everyone goodbye Good night. And it downs the whiskey, puts it to the side, and he goes, This is tonight we fly and he sings it. And I think it's such a beautiful song and it's it just tells about on on face value, literal sense, it's someone travelling over a land and everything they see mm. uh and all the people and things and the things happening as they go through go across this land, which I guess could be interpreted as going through life Mm. and all the different people you see. And the lyric that really, really, uh, it's the very end. Um... If heaven doesn't exist, what will we have missed? This life is the best that we've ever had. Mm. And that reminds me of in the, uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, there's something death says. I don't know if you're familiar with The Sandman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously, for those of you who may not be familiar, a uh, thing called The Endless that represent different parts of kind of human condition and life. And there is death, and death is kind. Uh, and there's, when death is showing dream, what they do. <clears throat> what their purpose is to try and remind Dream what their purpose is. They say they say to death, is that it? And they say you get what everyone gets, you get a lifetime,
2: mm. and
1: that that lyric at the end was like this life is the best we've ever had. For me, it's uh, it's the best you've ever because that's the one you got.
2: Mm.
1: It it can't be the worst. It can only be the best
2: mm.
1: because that's it. Um, and I just I I just think the song is so it's just so rousing and beautiful and it's not, it is sad, but in like a, almost positive.
0: It's really optimistic.
1: (laughs) It's really optimistic and I, uh, and also there was something in your first episode, someone was saying, uh, the guy was saying about that you can never turn back spring Mm. and how it's quite short because at funerals, people tend to, not play the whole song this song is also very short and i will get out of that fucking coffin if they do not play the whole thing (laughs) because there needs to be that end lyric of this life is the best
0: yes that we've ever had yeah you've got to have that in line yeah beautiful song hadn't heard it before you sent it and i'm really grateful that i have heard it now because i think it is a hopelessly optimistic song beautiful i also really love that it it's tonight we fly. Like, it's not tonight I fly. It's tonight we fly. It's mm-hmm. a, you're taking your friends and the people that mean the most to you on that final journey mm-hmm. to wherever the fuck we go after and it's the, after we die or not.
1: It? The friends that we know, the friends that we now know and those who we yet to meet. And then he says, and when we die, will we, will we be that disappointed or sad? And then if heaven doesn't exist, what will we have missed as life is the best we've ever had? And it's just the whole thing. I just think it's, it's so full of hope. Yes. As well, yeah. What was it over the um, the chimney tops, skylights, and looking into all of our lives and wondering why happiness is so hard to find? And then that lovely, if in the live version it's the same, it's a, just that lovely chorus goes over the mountains, and it just explains everything. They see you know the dogs barking down below, mm. and the doctors, the lawyers, the it's just it. I just. <clears throat> I don't put on the Divine Comedy very often. It's not necessarily a go-to band.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, But I really... They're very kind of cabaret, uh, very sort of satirically. I wouldn't say they were, you know, I wouldn't listen to them and go, very brugged. Um, But they've got that kind of irreverent sensibility, but with real passion and emotion. Mm. Uh, I think they've got a way of saying flippant things, in a, a genuine way there's also one I really enjoy called A Lady of a Certain Age which talks about uh, all these holidays and like you know pool boys and stuff um, it's it's just but they're all like beautiful orchestral musically lovely songs but all fairly mundane in, in, in parts I mean they obviously famously did the National Express song
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is that big big band like
2: mm.
1: jazz song about Going on a bus, mm. and they also did the th- "So Long and Thanks for All the Fish" from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: Oh, did they? Yeah,
1: I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about dolphins singing the song that's like "So Long and Thanks for All the Fish." <laughs> so sad that it has come to this. <laughs> we tried to all you all, but oh well. It's just so, and they obviously did uh, "My Lovely Horse" from Father Ted. Did they? Yes. <laughs> no, Neil Hannon did. Yeah. See what I mean? It's just uh, they're <laughs> all really, specific. but the capacity to be so silly, mm. but also. <clears throat> to them be so genuine and uh, they've got a song called in the pursuit of happiness which again is this ridiculous uh, or like epic orchestra song and it it's basically i think at the end it's like oh i hope you like tv and drinking coca-cola or something <laughs> like that i can't remember the haven't <laughs> for a long time but it's just it's just this f- 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 all these big swelling strings and then it's just really mundane yeah. <clears throat> At the end I just think they're so yeah, so silly, so fun.
0: I love that. I was really into um kitchen sink dramas when I sort of first started to absorb art and film and um there's like a genre of French cinema. This sounds so pretentious, but um that just it's just just normal French life. They don't do anything, they just get <laughs> up, they have some interactions, they fight with each other Smilk and then they go cigarettes. to bed. Yeah, they go to a cafe, maybe they have a little dance and then they go home. And it just, it looks stunning, obviously, because it's black and white and it's Paris and is stunning, gorgeous French actors. Um, but I just loved the mundane stuff. Like when they just, they film it in a way that it's kind of one shot quite a lot of the time or you'd have like maybe five cuts. It's just scene, scene, scene and whatever happens, happens. Um, and they'll make mistakes. Like they'll drop cigarettes or they'll kind of, get in front of the camera and it's a bit awkward and I don't know why but I'm just obsessed with stuff like that. I just <laughs> I love the failure detail the like yeah. Just love all that. So yeah, big fan of the National Express uh, song because I used to travel a lot on the National
1: Express. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Make Hello? it a ceremony. If you're well, going to do something uh, mundane, make it a ceremony. Again, for
1: those of you who are not listening, please look up National Express by The Divine Comedy. It's like, on the National Express, there's a lovely old seller selling the crisps and tea. <laughs> And it just, yeah. it's all very... Duh, duh. Yeah. And then it just... It does the verses Then it goes... But then it also builds up and builds up and eventually it's like a big swing and like big band party. And like, this is about a bus. Mm. <clears throat> I think Neil Hannon is brilliant. Uh, I've never met Neil Hannon, but he... Uh, obviously, I've worked with Duke Special. But um, it was not a well man uh, for a lot of the 90s. I think he, you know... They were, they were quite a large band of the 90s, and I think he might have picked up some habits along the way, uh, quite a lot of habits, and I think he was... Um, <clears throat> I don't think he was longed for this world should he have continued mm. <clears throat> on that path. And uh, I think he's, he, he's sorted himself out now, but he has a, a vape that's a, a pipe. <laughs> just seeing about this sort of ex, clearly out-of-control addict type that is now just wearing nice suits and smoking a, a pipe vape. <laughs>
2: Just because that.
1: that's 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 where they get their vices. Now they're a yeah. lovely little Irish eccentric guy, just <laughs> <clears throat> on their vape pipe.
0: Last track, <gasps> closing credits. This is a really important song, I think. Like <clears throat> the song on the cra- closing credits, is that punctuation mark at the end <clears throat> of a film? Um, I went to see Titanic in four K yesterday at the at the Odeon.
1: God, you've only just got out, actually. It's a long film, isn't it?
0: Bloody long, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three, three and a bit hours. But, you know, the, when the Celine Dion song comes in, I'm just like 11 again, watching it for the first time, think it's the best thing I've ever fucking seen in my entire life. <laughs> and I know every word to that song, and mm. it's one of my karaoke songs. got many, but that one is the worst, uh, but also probably the one that I enjoy singing the most. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I'm deep, deeply, deeply into closing credits songs. But what is the closing credits for Joe Black's life? This
1: was a hard one, actually, <coughs> because I actually considered Hoist That Rag for the credits mm. <coughs> just because it's a banger. Mm. And I was trying to make sure I had different artists for each one. So actually, I'll say what I didn't use. <coughs> I was going to use the Tiger Lily's Crack of Doom <coughs> because it's just about the end <laughs> of the world. <coughs> um you know, very literal I could have also used my song Final Curtain. Um uh, but I consider Tiger Lily's Crack of Doom. And I was like, no, I think we need I need a better summary of it, which also leaves things open. Uh because Death Is Not the End, which is actually the name of the song, is Death Is Not the End by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which is a Bob Dylan cover. Mm. Um, I don't actually enjoy the Bob Dylan one very much um, I I get this thing with Leonard Cohen as well where I really like Leonard Cohen but I prefer covers mm. um, where I will some songs I will just listen to the Leonard Cohen ones but I think I like the songs and the songwriting more than the performance in some cases or the arrangements in some cases like something like um, Dance Me to the End of Love or First We Take Manhattan. It's just got, it's too synthy for me for what I believe the song needs. Anyway, that's against the point. Um, <laughs> so the song is, yeah, Death is Not the End by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, <clears throat> which is a cover of a Bob, D- Bob Dylan song. And it has every singer imaginable on it. Kylie Minogue sings on it, Nick Cave sings on it, uh, Shane McGowan from The Pogue sings on it, talking of men who aren't well um, <laughs> due to uh, exceedingly more vices. Um. Yeah, so it uh, it's, it's a song that I think in Bob Dylan's context uh, is about heaven.
2: Because
1: mm. <clears throat> uh, Bob Dylan obviously went through a sort of nutty religious phase for a little while. <laughs> yes, uh, he <laughs> uh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I think uh, Nick Cave is... I'm not going to refer to Nick Cave as a religious nut, but I know he's a religious man. And I think at this point he uh, wasn't as... <clears throat> into it as he is now i i I don't think it was with a sense of irony uh that he did this but uh the sentiment of the song is just that death is not the end Uh, no matter what's going on you know it's like when you're sad and when you're lonely and you haven't got a friend just remember that death is not the end and i think rather than the you know the divine comedy one summed it up you know we get one life it's the best you've ever had Uh, this one I guess suggests that everything I mean Bob Dylan will have meant heaven but I'm taking it as things keep going Mm. things keep going anyway Mm -hmm. you know Uh, and I just think it's such a good credit song the pace of it the whole vibe is as everyone's taking everything in. Just that you've got this array of singers going. Death is not the end, and they're all together. Not the end. Mm. Not the end. Just you could, remember. You can
0: it. imagine them sitting in a pub and yeah. singing this round the old Gia- <clears throat> Joanna, can't you? Sort yeah, of a thing. and
1: it's got it's got a similar. I sort of in my head hear it the same as. Um, those were the days. Uh, what's her name, Mary? <coughs> wow, fuck a name you know those were the days my friend we oh, yeah. thought they'd never end yes uh similar kind of pub vibe yeah <clears throat> um and i don't know how he recorded it whether he was just him around the piano and then all these singers just gathered around i don't know i'm just imagining kylie minogue leaning on the yeah <clears throat> piano
0: the yeah Hopefully. <laughs> it's just,
1: yeah, and it's uh i just it's a good summary song, and that's the song that ends murder ballads mm. the album, which actually is one of those ones where again, I discovered that alternative music didn't need to be one thing. Mm. it's almost an americana album really it's a it's, it's amer- i don't want to say it's country because it's it's got a nastier harder mm. edge than country Americana i think is probably the best way yeah <clears throat> to put it um and that album beginning to end is a masterpiece uh but that <clears throat> that album uh, for considering it's a essentially folk and americana angry punk rock album about all death mm. all death um and they're all based on all the songs are based on particular things um you know the curse of Millhaven. Um, I believe is based on like a folklore about this little girl that, or real murder. Actually, I've got a book about this. Um, I need to read it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, about this little girl that killed a lot of people in a small town. And that actually, sorry, it's not the song we're supposed to be talking about, but that curse of Millhaven is all seven and a half fucking minutes of it. Eight minutes, whatever it is. Lyrically is a fucking masterclass. Um, And I, you know, I couldn't, say them all now because there's so many words but for those of you who are unfamiliar it is about the story it's sort for the spoiler because you learn about halfway through the song uh, about these strange murders that happen in this small town and it's revealed to be this little girl that uh, you know has been doing all of these horrible things this this child um and there's a the lyric when they like put her away and she says, uh, and I've got raw Shaq and Prozac and everything is groovy. <laughs> <coughs> I love it. Uh, they, it's like, uh, Oh, they asked me, do I feel remorse? And I answer why? Of course there's so much more I'd done if they'd let me. So it's raw and Prozac and everything is groovy. <laughs> uh, look, look, that. Again, that, that whole album. And then O'Malley's bar, which I think also has the nastiest, most absurd lyric I have ever heard in my life, which is I smashed in his head with a really fucking big brick. (laughs) It's so on the nose, isn't it? You've got such a good memory for lyrics. Sometimes. It's like I feel the pressure at the moment where I'm trying to remember it. But I mean, I could be like slightly misquoting that one. But the lyric is something like, and I smashed in his head with a really fucking big brick. Um, And that one is about, I think I read... in Nick Cave's book, actually, the Faith, Hope and Carnage one, where he's interviewed by Sean... Um, oh, mix something. I don't want to say his name wrong. Sean. Um, uh, where he says that that song, he was in a bar and just decided that uh, he was going to write about all the people in the bar.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And all the horrible things he would do to them, essentially, in a yeah, fantasy sense. Um, again, I could be misremembering that, but, uh, that one. And I love... Uh, I mean, now I'm just talking about murder ballads. I could do an old thing about murder ballads. Um, Henry Lee, I think, the combination of Nick Cave Mm. and PJ Harvey's voice. Beautiful. Just phenomenal. Mm. I met her very briefly under the weirdest circumstances. Did you? I was doing uh, the Hay Festival, the literary festival, just as like a weird TV side bit. At, At the last minute, she was being interviewed on the same show that I was filming a little bit for. Um, so we got to read a, watch her read some poetry. And then my dressing room was next to hers. And we had a moment where we locked eyes, where I was putting on a clown outfit. <laughs> so PJ Happy. it. was like, do you know, like, kind of um, cabin things that they have at festivals and stuff, like the kind of container thing. Mm. And the win- my mirror and her mirror were at the windows facing each other's cabins. And there was a moment where I'm pulling on, like a clown, like, a pointy clown hat. And she's putting on mascara and we both look up at the same time and just, like, then look back down. It's like, ah, <laughs> uh, I've just, like, full-on had a connecting eye moment with PJ Harvey as I'm putting on a clown outfit.
2: That's really so stupid,
1: So <laughs> stupid. Anyway, yes, Death Is Not The End It's on Murderbat. It. It's the end of that album as well, mm. <clears throat> which is why I went for it, because that, that album has such a journey that I feel that that, that song sums up all of that. And then I needed something to summarise this.
0: Mm. I kind of, I saw it as um, a tombstone at the end of that album. Oh, it is a
1: tombstone, yeah.
0: And then I thought about how ominous a tombstone would look if it just said, death is not the end. Oh, yes. You can imagine being like...
1: It's a threat, isn't it? It
0: is a threat. You'd be like, <clears throat> okay, <laughs> and where is this person now? So I kind of, I quite liked that. Just thinking about it like um, the ghost of this album is out to get you. morbid question yeah
2: if
0: if you had a tombstone what would be written (laughs) on it
1: i like the idea of death is not the end but i i like the idea of something ominous as well maybe like you'll be next or something on it yeah that's good um (laughs) something ominous
0: i like that flipping
1: and like going down it's just it's like the way sometimes when i you know obviously i've said that my funeral song would be tonight we fly But I also like the idea of, like, you know, as the Coffin's brought in playing, like, the Hokey Cokey, or something like... (laughs) And people going, like, he's still doing it. He's still doing it. He's still being a fucking nuisance.
0: Right, we have come to the end. So I'm going to read back what you've chosen, and then let me know what you think, hearing it back. So, opening credits... Hoist That Rag by Tom Waits, Coming of Age, Helena, My Chemical Romance, First Love is Sing by the Dresden Dolls, Point of Conflict or Despair, Exit Music for a Film by Radiohead, Enlightenment or Euphoria is Poor Jack by Danny Elfman from the film Nightmare Before Christmas, Death Scene, Tonight We Fly, The Divine Comedy, and your closing credits is Death Is Not the End by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds.
1: I'm obsessed with this playlist. <laughs> I have been listening to it from beginning to end. The flow on it is perfect. Um, I'm very proud of that. I agree. And I hope people who listening, who listen to this really enjoy the playlist and enjoy the stories. I this is I knew I was going to go off on one on this and I fucking did. Like just chat we, you know I think we covered quite a lot of ground.
0: I'm glad we got to talk about the threads cuz that's that's the thing that I assumed and I I wanted to make I wanted to hear you say it all and I but just it, found it fascinating. It wasn't even
1: intentional with the with the songs. I didn't go what would work next for this. It was no, no. all genu- genuine genuine mm. moments. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah,
2: yeah. And I
1: and I think even ones like uh exit music for a film which is nothing like the others mm. um still somehow in in that flow of the so poor Jack obviously is swelling, and then it's got the down of the exit music, and then it goes heavy, and then that goes into the rousing
2: yeah.
0: of
1: uh, Tonight We Fly. Yeah. So even though Radiohead stick out like a sore thumb on that lineup, <laughs> it just works.
0: Yeah. What I really love about these songs as a collection is that they're all, they're all gothic dramas, <coughs> but they all have a sense of great hope and optimism in them. Oh, that's nice. I think. Um, well, maybe, maybe with the exception of exit music...
1: Yeah, that, I don't think that's full of hope. I think that's where hope <laughs> is gone. That's where hope dies. Yes. Yeah,
0: that's that is where hope dies. But you know, you've got you've got Sing. That's like a, a song about an antidote to sadness. You know, the the art of singing and a community, the the community that that singing gives you is like an antidote to sadness. I really love that. Poor, poor Jack, which is the ultimate character turning point, seeing the light. You know, he's not evil. He just likes scary stuff and he's a misfit and that's okay. He's good, really, and he's going to go put things right. And then Tonight We Fly and Death Is Not The End are both, like you say, a soaring sense of, of like, love for life, really. Mm-hmm. A celebration of <clears throat> life whilst also talking about death.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think it's perfect.
1: I'm very pleased.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what's next for Joe Black?
1: Oh, God. Uh, Well, I've started a show at Comedia in Brighton, Klein's Cabaret, which is going to be a couple of times a year. Yeah, 4th of April Comedia. I'll probably be sold out by the time this comes out. But then the next one is sometime in July. Um, But yeah, keep an eye on uh, Comedia's... search for Joe Black's Klein's Cabaret that's K-L-E-I-N-E-S for Klein's and Cabaret with a K two Ts Um, (laughs) German so uh, that um, I'm doing an album at some point this year I'm saying this out loud Uh, I've been doing it for a fucking year and a half I just haven't finished it and I'm doing that thing where I go round and round and round. But I've come to a lovely studio to do this, and they have a piano. And there's some stuff that I've been going, I really would like a piano just for those bits. So um, I'm about to keep an eye on that. Um, Final Curtain is available to stream, and there's music video, which is a single I've released that will also be on the album when it eventually comes out. What else am I doing? Listening to this playlist, mostly.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joe. My oh, pleasure. Thank you. It's been an utter pleasure to explore your soundtrack, Odyssey.
1: I've had a bloody lovely time. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Auf Wiedersehen.
1: Auf Wiedersehen.
0: Tschüss. That was such a treat to chat to Joe, and I learned so much. I had no no idea how much German cabaret had inspired some of the biggest artists of all time. So he really opened up a whole new world for me. Um, there were so many great moments in there. Like, every time he started singing and stomping his feet and doing a percussion section on his own was just amazing. And he's got so much rich knowledge about music. So, yeah, I had a ball. I really hope you had as much um, enjoyment listening as I did hanging out with Joe. As he said, um, his next show is the 4th of April at Comedia. Get tickets if you can. And keep an eye on his Instagram for next dates. He is at Mr. Joe Black on Instagram. Uh, Mr is spelled M-I-S-T-E-R and then Joe Black. I'm sure you can spell that have a look in the description box for links to loads of interesting things that Joe mentioned throughout the podcast like the live recording of the Dresden Dolls at the Roundhouse in 2006 where he was in the audience and it was the moment that he knew that he wanted to be a cabaret performer and you can listen to Joe Black's official Soundtrack Odyssey playlist by hitting the link in the description Thank you for listening and catch you next time